Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Well, good morning, and it is another day and another uh, political cover-up in Washington. Uh, That is the op-ed from Kevin McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, on the DOJ's treatment of Hunter Biden. Uh, Quote, it smells like a cover-up. So according to Just the News, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy Uh, said the Justice Department's slow investigation of Hunter Biden followed by a plea deal to avoid prison time smells like a cover-up under Attorney General Merrick Garland. In an op-ed for Fox News titled, On Biden's Watch, Lady Justice Has Been Weaponized, But Merrick Garland Can't Do This One Thing, McCarthy wrote that mounting evidence shows that the Justice Department under Joe Biden enforces the law unequally by tilting the scales to favor friends and family, while unleashing the FBI and prosecutors on President Biden's political opponent, former President Donald Trump. After slow walking this investigation for five years, the DOJ turned what the whistleblower described as a slam dunk felony case against Hunter Biden into a sweetheart plea deal and possibly buried evidence of crimes that have sent other Americans to prison. McCarthy also wrote, when a prosecutor shields his boss's sons from investigators, it smells like a cover-up. Garland's DOJ did not aggressively follow the money. Why? Are they afraid of where that trail ends? Uh, This is just yet another question that conservatives and Republicans are going to repeatedly ask the executive branch and the Biden administration and the Justice Department with probably no answers. And it's also uh, coming on the heels of the cocaine in the White House investigation, where uh, reports are suggesting that uh, they really don't know the answer to this. And uh, what's really fascinating to me about the cocaine in the White House story is that it would be very easy for the press secretary, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, or diversity hire Karen, as my good friend Jesse Kelly calls her, which I think is apt, uh, she could just come out and say, this is not Hunter Biden's. It does not belong to a member of the first family. We don't know anything more than that. But just to make that part of it clear, why not clear the air of that type of speculation? But because cocaine was found in the White House, uh, I think it was the day after Hunter Biden's visit. There's a lot of speculation on that. And of course, if he is still using drugs, that would go against this very sweetheart deal plea agreement. And what would the Justice Department do then? Would they revoke uh, his diversion and actually prosecute him for a felony? Would they be forced to then uh, give him a maybe more severe misdemeanor? Would uh, would they actually do something? So, you know, these are all probably questions that I anticipate are uh, being discussed behind closed doors, um, assuming, you know, that the cocaine doesn't actually belong to somebody else. But what I think is really fascinating is that there is no clarity on the fact that it doesn't belong to the first family. So, uh, so that, that just obviously raises the question is why aren't they 
simply coming out and clearing the air on that. So we'll continue to ask the questions. And I think conservatives um, should be asking these questions. We should continue to demand accountability. The media should be continuing to ask these questions. But the frustrating thing is that nobody is really accountable in the executive to to think that they're obligated to give the American public answers. Uh, It's become very apparent that the Biden administration really does not care about uh, favorability polling. They don't care about uh, job performance polling. And that tells me that Joe Biden does not care what you and I, the voters in America, think of him. Remember when he was saying in 2020, I'm running as the candidate for all Americans, and I'm going to be the president of all Americans. Well, that quickly went out the door. The same thing is saying that uh, he was going to bring decency back into the White House and then has a Pride Month uh, parade with literally topless uh, people who are trans and have had, uh, you know, reconstruction top surgery in, in, on the South Lawn of the White House. It was so perverse, so disgusting. Um, and such a display of rubbing it in the face of Americans like you and me that didn't vote for him, uh, don't want him to be president, and yet he he is completely intentionally uh, going against the promise that his handlers made to you and me that if he was elected, he would be the president uh, for all Americans. And so, um, you know, so we're going to we're going to continue to follow this. But I think that that is a significant reason um, to distrust uh, anyone who is a Democrat, because I don't think that Joe Biden is actually having any of these decisions on his own. Um, You know, this is obviously something that's just his his administration uh, that's doing all of this. And so then that raises the question of Joe Biden's competency. And I will continue to assert and maintain that my prediction, and I could be wrong, but my prediction is that at some point, Gavin Newsom, uh, the governor of California, is going to enter the race for the Democrat nomination. And uh, he'll probably have some of the very same people around him because uh, Democrats kind of run as a pack and they uh, they will just continue to have this extreme leftist progressive agenda. But Gavin Newsom can just say it with more slick back hair and a uh, slick sort of snake oily salesman uh, type of manner. But we shouldn't underestimate him. If you watched the interview that he did about a month ago on Sean Hannity's program, it was actually really, really well done. He handled it incredibly well. I didn't agree with anything that he said. Um, I think that he was intentionally um, you know, spinning some of the facts, uh, some of those things, obviously. But the handling of, for the Democrats, Fox's opposition media he handled it really well. And I think that we should not underestimate the Democrats. And we should also be very concerned, uh, as my good friend Steve Dace said on uh, on Tim Wildman's program uh, just the other day, um, today's issues. And you should go back and listen to that interview if you haven't. Um, he was saying that, you know, in 2016, uh, Donald Trump had a lot of independent support because they were disaffected Democrats or people that just hated Hillary Clinton. And and so that was the reason that he won. Uh, Trump won that really amazing uh, upset in 2016. And Republicans, just based on the voting numbers across the country as a whole, and especially if you factor in the Electoral College, which is how we uh, how we actually vote for and get our chief magistrate, uh, we have to as uh, as conservatives. 
uh, have some independents voting Republican. That's just the way that the numbers work. And uh, Steve Dace broke that down, and he's absolutely correct in that. And so we need to be very concerned that a, a Democrat, whoever that is, whether that's Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom or someone else, uh, that we push back on the progressive leftist agenda and also that the conservative uh, nominee is someone that uh, is is really advancing our values. And uh, we need to always vote our uh, conscience. And I think that it's um, it's very incumbent upon Christians to make sure that we are always calling out the truth. And we look at uh, the progressive leftists as, uh, you know, for everything that they are, are not fulfilling their promises on. And I think for uh, a Republican candidate to win in 2024, um, it's going to have to be someone that can also appeal to the independents more than the Democrat nominee is. And that's my overall concern with a nomination of uh, President Trump, because I think he has, in an interesting way, for independents, I'm not talking about his camp and the people that love and support him, but for independents, he has really become um, a kind of the 2024 Hillary Clinton in the sense that there are people who do not like him and will not vote for him. And I think we all really need to uh, to look at that and be very concerned for the trajectory of this country. And speaking of Gavin Newsom, I want to make sure that I play this clip while uh, we still have time in this segment. You all know that uh, I represented Pastor John MacArthur and Grace Community Church and the theatrical release of the Essential Church documentary uh, is going to be on, um, it's about a week from now, uh, July 28th. So I, I guess actually two weeks from now. And um, I would ask all of you to go to EssentialChurch.com and uh, get tickets to this great movie, support uh, this documentary that is talking about the Essential Church, July 28th, and you can listen to this trailer. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement 
because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. L.A. County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. That is the preview for the Essential Church documentary, and you can go to EssentialChurchMovie.com. And I uh, previewed the entire film um, a couple of weeks ago, and it is an amazing, amazing presentation of the gospel. And the thing that I love about this, uh, this film not only is this taking the context of explaining uh, what the difference is between separation of church and state, how the left would try to frame that, Uh, versus how we as Christians understand that in a jurisdictional context. But it also describes the context of why it is important to always stand firm on the church being essential within the greater context of the scope of church history. Uh, So again, this movie will be out uh, July 28th. That's a Sunday. Uh, That weekend it will start. So you can go and uh, look where it is being played uh, close to your area. If you don't see a theater on there yet, continue to check back because they're adding uh, more theaters even daily as uh, increased demands. And you can also uh, contact your local theater and ask them for a screening. Uh, The more people that do that, then the more theaters they can add. And um, this is just just yet one of the, the main issues that we saw through the scope of the pandemic through that we saw um, and that we've continued to see through uh, Joe Biden's entire term with, you know, the, the vaccine mandates with some of these other things, how the left is always trying to encroach upon Christians, our freedom and our liberty and conservatives. And we have to have to fight back. But I also believe that we have to have a conservative in 2024. Otherwise, um, it's going to be an even stronger disaster for this country. So go to EssentialChurchMovie.com and also prayerfully continue to pray for this country. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, we've been talking about the encroachment of the government into our rights. And uh, in the last segment, I was talking about uh, the the church uh, government and how the state government in the midst of the pandemic uh, was trying to encroach onto church government territory, shut down the church. And you can go to EssentialChurchMovie.com and see that documentary that is going to be coming out July 28th that talks all about a Grace Community Church in L.A. County and also several other churches where pastors were even arrested and jailed for their faith in the midst of uh, the 2020 
insane uh, edicts from uh, the state. And that wasn't even just here in America. That was, of course, in Canada and you know other countries across the world. Um, so that's really important. But that is also why it is so important for all of us here in the United States to make sure that we do fight back against a tyrannical government and petition our government for redress when they overstep. And there is a case now out of the state of Missouri, which I think is really fascinating uh, because we would all tend to kind of think of Missouri as a as a red state. Um, it's one of the leaders in um, Missouri and Louisiana that's fighting against uh, the Biden administration and their collusion with uh, big tech and censoring viewpoints and discussion for conservatives, even over the COVID-19 vaccine, you know, some of those things that, uh, that they censored. And so this is interesting to me that this is out of the state of Missouri. And um, the issue here is that parents are losing custody of four children to the state of Missouri. And uh, this is because uh, Missouri state officials took custody of four children, including this couple's six-year-old autistic son, after uh, the parents utilized an alternative medical treatment known as chlorine dioxide, which is, has been used by some parents to treat their children with autism. So uh, one of my uh, dear friends, who is Brian Festa, the founder of We the Patriots USA, which is a nonprofit public interest law firm based in Idaho, has taken on this case in defense of the two parents in Missouri, and Brian Festa joins me now. Uh, so, you know, th- this just seems wild to me, Brian, that this is out of the state of Missouri, and that uh, th- that Missouri state officials would actually take four children away from their parents just because they chose an alternative medical treatment that was not harmful to their child. Um, you know, at least as far as, you know, what I've read about this case, um, just because the parents had the right of medical decision making for their autistic son. Yeah, Jenna, this is a really disturbing case. Um, You know, obviously there is a place for uh, child protective services, children and families, whatever it's called, and uh, in everybody's respective state, there's a place for, you know, the state to step in if children are truly being abused, if they're injured, physically injured, sexually abused, anything like that, there is a place uh, in those kinds of circumstances to remove children from a home. But that's not what was going on here. Literally, uh, state officials in Missouri showed up at the home of Amanda and Paul Guidry on June 16th uh, of this year and took custody of four children. Um, four of their children. So um, one of their children is, their youngest is six years old. As you mentioned, um, he does have autism. He's on the spectrum. And the justification for taking away these children is because they were using, the parents were using chlorine dioxide as a treatment for his autism. Now, I just want to be clear about something. We're not advocating anyone to use this treatment. That's not what this case is about. That's not why we took this case. Um, I'm not, you know, personally advocating for it. I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving medical advice. We took the case because the state had absolutely no evidence that these children had been harmed, had been injured in any way, or were in imminent danger of harm. There wasn't any um, reliable evidence that there was any danger to what these parents were doing. Um, And they took the children from the home, placed them in foster care. 
here's the other thing. <laughs> this is a, a, a piece of the story that I haven't even told on air yet or in any of the press releases, but it just came to mind. Um, they offered to have the children, the parents, advocated, could, can you place them with our relatives? So, for instance, Amanda's father, their, their grandfather, can you place them in the home of one of our relatives? The state refused. No, we're putting them in foster care. Wow. Um, so this is, you're talking about tyrannical government overreach. This is the extreme. And if it's happening in a state like Missouri, Jenna, I guarantee you it's happening everywhere else, New York, California, you know, any of the other blue states, but really any of the red states too. I've heard stories like this even in, in our home state. We're now in Idaho. Idaho. I've heard stories like that here in Idaho about the corruption with Child Protective Services. So this is something that needs to stop. You know, they, they have to be placed on notice. These states have to be placed on notice that you are not going to cross the line into usurping parental rights, especially when there is no evidence of harm to the children, because that's giving way too much power to the state. And if we give the government that kind of power, we're done. I mean, you talk about communism. People are already saying this is this country is becoming like China. I mean, we're if this is allowed to stand in a court of law, we're done. Yeah, especially in Missouri. And, you know, a few things really bother me about, um, you know, what you've what you've said, Brian Festa, um, from We the Patriots USA. It's a public interest law firm that has taken on this case out of Missouri. Um, not only is this in Missouri, where parents generally, I, I think, would feel that they are more safe in terms of the intact family unit against government overreach than they would, say, maybe in California or, um, you know, in New York or some of these places that you have extreme legislation that is continuing to be put through. But this just shows that um, it is the the ideology of the um, the CPS and the Child Protective Services generally, not just between red states and blue states, but generally that the government knows better the best interests of the children over and above the parents. And when there is even a question of, well, this is an alternative treatment and we're concerned about that, that somehow justifies removal of the children from the intact uh, family unit. And to not even place the children with another relative that they already know and feel safe and and to have that kind of continuity, especially for a, a six-year-old autistic young boy who I understand you know does, doesn't even um, speak, you know, th- that just must be horrifying. Uh, for and traumatizing for these children. And so for the court um, and and for Missouri state officials to allow this would be uh, patently against what the Constitution expressly protects in terms of parental rights. And, and I want to highlight one other thing with you, Brian, as well, is that, as you mentioned, this is not about whether or not this alternative medical treatment that they that they chose for their son is you know, it is good or we would all choose it or, you know, any of that. It's that it's their right to pursue alternative medical treatment as long as that treatment obviously isn't, you know, abusive or, um, you know, or, or some bright line parameters that we have in the law. I mean, parents are allowed to choose um, the medical decisions for their children and the best way to treat things like autism or like, you know, any other um, chronic illness. 
And for the state to step in and say, we know better and we're going to override parental rights, I think fundamentally goes against parental rights, but also medical freedom in this country. Absolutely. Um, And we saw that during COVID, right? We saw cases where people were using ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine to treat their COVID with great success. Drugs that have been shown have been proven uh, to be very innocuous, not have a lot of harmful side effects, especially when put up against some of the treatments like remdesivir and other treatments that were being used in hospitals that do have very serious side effects. Um, You know, ivermectin won the Nobel Prize in 2015 as a cure for river blindness. So this is a Nobel Prize winning drug, and they were vilifying it and really trying to take away the medical licenses. I know doctors who had their medical licenses under attack simply because they were prescribing it. We have a case of the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals right now that's pending a decision. We've already argued it a couple of weeks ago in Minnesota on behalf of a, a man, Bill Salyer, a retired U.S. Marine. He and his wife were critically ill with covid and got a prescription for ivermectin, and the pharmacist at Walmart and Hy-Vee supermarkets both denied them access to their prescription, even though they had a prescription from a duly licensed physician um, for ivermectin. The pharmacist uh, stepped in, and because of a political policy of those corporations, said, we're not going to fill the prescription. No reason, no justification, no medical justification, no credible evidence that there was any risk of harm to uh, the patient. And and that's what's happening here with this case in Missouri. They didn't have any evidence. It would be different. Most of these medical, this is what makes this this case so unique. Most of these so-called medical kidnapping cases, you see, where parents, there's a popular film right now, which I saw, I don't know if you've seen it, Take Care of Maya. It's on Netflix. And it's about medical kidnapping, a very uh, famous medical kidnapping case that's still ongoing, still being litigated. But the hospital um, took custody for months of this girl who was suffering, though. She was brought to the hospital in extreme pain, had some very serious health symptoms, and they had a child abuse physician, a pediatrician, they call it, come in and determine that it was because of the treatments that the parents were giving that um, were giving to the to Maya that they needed to take away custody from the parents of this girl. But most of the medical kidnapping cases, Jenna, are like that. There's some, you know, horrible symptoms the child is experiencing, and they determine, the state steps in, the doctors step in, and determine that it's the, the parents are somehow harming the child. Even if it's not true, at least they have some rational basis. In this case, there was absolutely zero evidence. There were no physical symptoms, no signs of injury on the children, and yet they were ripped from the home. This is criminal. Mm, Yeah, it it is. And I'm so grateful that uh, we, the Patriots USA, is taking uh, on this case. And, you know, it is it is wild to me as well that the very same government that thinks that it can compel uh, virtually everyone in the country to take an experimental medication and prohibit um, it's not preferred medication that is just being used uh, in an alternative fashion, um, that it can make those medical decisions and then can turn right around and tell parents, oh, sorry, but this alternative uh, treatment that you do prefer, you're not allowed to do that. Otherwise, you're going to lose custody of your children. I mean, it's like it, that's so completely arbitrary. If, if you look at it on that scale, it's like, why is the government... Uh, just determining without knowing anything about the health of the individual or the child, thinking that it can substitute 
the parent's best judgment or the individual's best judgment about our own uh, health and the health of our children uh, just because the government, you know, thinks that it somehow has the power to do this. I mean, it's just, it's so patently absurd. So I'm really grateful, uh, Brian Festa, that you're taking on this case. Um, for anyone who is interested in helping out with this, um, I have told Brian uh, so many times that there are not enough lawyers in nonprofit organizations that can meet the demand of how many of these types of cases uh, for parents, for parental rights, for First Amendment rights on religious freedom, on medical freedom, on freedom of speech. I mean, all of these things, there aren't enough lawyers. So I'm very grateful that Brian has now created this organization, We the Patriots USA, uh, that is going to help and is helping so many uh, families across the country. So if you want to help, uh, you can go to wethepatriotsusa.org. There, right on that landing page, there is a, a box that shows a picture of this family. Um, it's titled Medical Kidnapping Fundraiser. You can learn more about the Gidget family. You can listen to um, other interviews on this. And you can also, if you uh, feel led, donate to help the Guidry family. Uh, because really, these nonprofits, um, like We the Patriots, like Lines Defending Freedom, like the Thomas More Society, where I'm an allied attorney, um, you know, we, we just don't have enough uh, attorneys to meet the demand. And this type of a donation to help um, really can help then not only get more lawyers, but also have just more resources to fight these really important cases. Um, so Brian, just in the last couple of minutes I have with you as well, um, what other issues are we, the Patriots USA, uh, focused on as well? So um, we're focused on, um, obviously, parental rights, as in this case, but also medical freedom, religious freedom. We have lawsuits against the state of Connecticut for um, repealing the religious exemption to mandatory childhood vaccinations for school attendance. So in 2021, the state repealed um, that uh, provision of their statute that allowed for a religious exemption, which most states still have. Um, they repealed that. We have a federal lawsuit against the state of Connecticut for that. We also have a lawsuit on behalf of Milford Christian Church and their school, Milford Christian Academy, which was threatened with closure by the state simply because they were honoring their family's religious beliefs. They were still allowing religious exemptions after that um, religious exemption provision was repealed. They said, listen, we're a church, we're a Christian school, we're still going to honor religious beliefs. We took up a lawsuit on behalf of the church against the state as well in Connecticut, and actually a major development in that case just broke about a week ago where the state attorney general's office admitted in their reply brief because of our legal strategy, we got them to admit, this is huge, that they cannot regulate um, vaccination policies, vaccination mandates with regard to private schools in the state, K through 12 private schools. So they actually admitted, Attorney General William Tong's office in his reply brief admitted wow. that the state has no power to enforce a vaccine mandate against private schools. So that's a huge Amazing. victory in private schools in Connecticut, where it's one that we hope has a domino effect across the United States. This case is still unfolding, though, um, and we okay. hope to well, take it. We will be, um, uh, yeah, we'll be Supreme following it. And, and and Brian, we got to leave it there. Really appreciate it. You can go to wethepatriotsusa.org to support that great organization or find out more about their legal battles. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the Morning. 
Yes, we do need to continue to speak truth and also call out lies. And that is one thing that uh, my good friend Jim Nels has done uh, quite well in a new piece in foxnews.com that is titled The Green Mafia Loses Its Collective Mind. Despite crazy predictions that have failed to come true, the insanity around climate policies keeps getting more extreme. So uh, Jim Nels is a supply chain consultant based in Chicago, and he is also uh, a really prolific writer these days, and he joins me now. So uh, Jim, I think you know for everybody listening, we're, we're all conservative other than, you know, the haters of the left who also listen in and welcome uh, to them. I think this is possibly one of their only opportunities to hear truth. Uh, you know, for all of us who are uh, kind of sane around climate uh, policies and some of these things, we've seen the left predictably just continue on its path of total hysteria from Greta Thunberg to AOC to all of these, you know, the climate czar John Kerry who run around, runs around in his airplane that causes a more giant footprint um, in one flight probably than I'll ever make in my entire life. And yet... The left continues to perpetuate this crazy narrative. Uh, so, you know, how do, how do we respond as conservatives? Well, Jenna, I mean, we're all going to die, apparently. Um, and according to some of these uh, green mafia folks, we've died several times over already, just based on the timeline that they have. But I, I thought I that was from bacon. I, I was reliably informed <laughs> that, you know, the more bacon I eat... I've already died about 37 times, but, you know, that's, yeah. that, that, that has nothing to do with climate we, change. When you had the aspartame that we all drink when we were kids, we've got that one going to us as well. But <laughs> the actuality is, is that folks have to realize how dangerous some of this can be because it's becoming a national security issue. If you look at what's happened in places like California and even a conservative place like Texas, as they've invested more and more money in green energy, the grid has become more and more unstable. We saw what happened in Texas a few winters ago, or even last summer when Gavin Newsom signed a bill saying that no gas-powered vehicles would be sold after, I think it was 2030. And then the next week, literally had to come out and say, please don't charge your electric cars at night because the grid can't support it. So we're doing very, very short-sighted, stupid things in the name of going green. But what folks don't seem to understand is that we aren't green yet, and the infrastructure doesn't support it. For example, when you plug in your Tesla to charge, where do you think the electricity comes from? It's not coming from solar. It's not coming from wind. It's coming 99% from a coal-fired power plant, and that's what's charging your electric car so you can feel good about yourself from doing it. I think the yeah, other thing that, that is scary and people need to understand is they're going, in my opinion, they're going to start treating climate like COVID. Um, they've created in the Health and Human Services Department the Office of Climate Change and Health Equity. And I really think that they're going to use that to declare climate a health emergency and that they're going to force a lot of this green stuff down on us uh, through government mandates. That is the really, really key issue here, Jim Nels, is that uh, this whole Office of Climate Change and Health Equity that's out of uh, – the U.S. Department of Health and, and Human Services, HHS, uh, to say that they can declare an emergency in the same way 
that the federal government declared an emergency during COVID and then that and also on this, you know, the state levels as well. And then to have the executive branch harness that emergency authority to then compel compliance. Um, and this, you know, won't necessarily be over a compulsory vaccine. It will be on things like um, a social credit, like you you can't use uh, your credit card to buy an airplane ticket if you were out of carbon credits or, you know, things like that, that in a so-called and declared climate health emergency, then uh, the federal government could restrict Americans' freedoms. And I think it's so important that people understand how this is possible and why we need to ensure that legislative remedies are built in right now before we get to that point. And I think it's going to come sooner than anybody anticipates so that we can foreclose a lot of this unilateral authority that uh, that during the the pandemic, a lot of uh, the, the Democrat governors uh, were harnessing to try to compel this. I mean, I was just talking in the first segment of the show about the essential church movie. And, you know, this was exactly what happened to churches in the state of California and how the the COVID emergencies allowed the governor to declare what is and is not essential. And guess what? Churches weren't essential, but strip clubs, marijuana dispensaries, big box stores, you know, other things that they deemed totally arbitrarily were essential, but they thought they could force the churches to shut down. So, um, you know, so just from the perspective of how easy this would be, I think that you are spot on to say that that is the main uh, issue that we need to look out for and we need to really fight back on. And so, I mean, do you see a lot of Republicans on the state and local level or in Congress addressing this? No, unfortunately. Um, what we see is, is people treating it pretty much like a joke uh, because some of the stuff that they propose is so outrageous, it, it has to be a joke. You see the Biden administration proposing something to put forth technology to block the sun's rays from hitting the earth. That's exactly an episode of The Simpsons. There is a whole Simpsons episode dedicated to that. So I don't know if Homer Simpson is advising President Biden or he just continues to plagiarize from other people. Homer Simpson is probably more mentally competent than Joe Biden. I'm just putting that out there. But (laughs) But when the the ideas are so ridiculous, it allows them to do the things uh, like this uh, Office of Climate Change and Health Equity without anyone noticing or realizing what's happening. And so we, we see the Republicans in the, in the House and the Senate more concerned with, you know, whose cocaine is this in the White House, which is important to know, but no one's really talking about, hey, wait a minute, the government just put something in place that's going to allow them to literally declare meatless Mondays in the name of, of uh, climate health or tell someone that you've already used your 15 gallons of gas for the month. You, you can't use your credit card or even money to fill up your gas tank because you've driven too much. Take the bus. And restricting that freedom of, of movement is something fundamentally, there's something fundamentally wrong about that. This is the freedom of movement that really makes America, America. And it's something that is uh, dear to us in our DNA. And if the government can control that, we're, we're, we're done. We become the sheeple and we just continue to walk headlong into uh whatever our policies they want to put down on us. Yeah, because it's completely unconstitutional otherwise. I mean, the right of travel has been upheld by the Supreme Court in, uh, you know, many instances of of, uh, jurisprudential precedent. Um, But this is where 
the left has harnessed this emergency authority to arbitrarily declare uh, emergencies and health emergencies specifically to then circumvent uh, some of these constitutional protections. And this is why Justice Gorsuch in uh, the great uh, Title 42 opinion just a couple of months ago from the Supreme Court said that we cannot allow fear to override uh, constitutional protections. And we can't um, just arbitrarily say, well, the Constitution is suspended uh, for any reason. But that's exactly what happened during the pandemic. And, you know, my response to that was great, Justice Gorsuch, but we should have heard that three years ago. And so hopefully we have learned some things uh, through the pandemic. But I think that the left is going to continue to try to be creative. They're also um, looking at this um, central bank digital currency, which I think would be even more problematic uh, for the freedom of individuals because then uh, the the government could very easily just shut down our ability as individuals uh, to pay for things like gas or travel or you know that kind of thing or even food if they determined that this goes against the edicts um, pursuant to this type of public health climate emergency. Um, and we're seeing this, I think Jim Nell's Uh, not just from the United States government, but how Biden is truly a globalist in the sense that he's looking at world policy and is taking a page from the WEF and obviously um, the WHO and some of these other countries. Because you mentioned in this piece that the government of Ireland has proposed culling, which is a polite way of saying killing, um, 200,000 cows effectively reducing the nation's dairy herd by 10% to meet the European Union's carbon reduction goals. I mean, that that's so ridiculous. And we think, oh, I can't imagine that happening in the United States. But that's kind of the way that we're trending as well. Exactly. And here's what's even more ridiculous about what the Irish government uh, recommended is that they're then going to replace the Irish cows with beef from Brazil. So they're going to have the beef grown in Brazil, raised in Brazil, slaughtered in Brazil, then put onto a ship and transported across the Atlantic Ocean into the European Union, and they'll be eating Brazilian beef instead of Irish beef. You're still going to have the same number of cows. You're just going to be destroying the rainforest carbon footprint as opposed to that in Ireland. But it goes to the point I was making earlier that it's almost hard to take this seriously because the ideas are so crazy. And if you look at some of the other ideas that people have put out there, um, painting part of the Andes white, creating fake volcanoes to put ash into the atmosphere to cool the planet, using wind-powered pumps to refreeze Arctic ice. When people hear things like that, they don't take the, the mafia part of the climate mafia seriously. And before you know it, like you said, we end up with um, this this place in HHS, and then we end up with the digital currency where we can't go and buy meat because we've consume too much meat that month so we have to go and eat eat our, our bug protein and we can't get in our car and drive on a family vacation we have to take the bus and it's 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 going to be um pretty scary if people don't start paying more serious attention to this yeah absolutely and we need to be paying attention to it as conservatives to make sure that our state and local government is doing for example like what governor DeSantis did in florida by passing legislation signing legislation that uh, said that under Florida's state uh, uniform commercial code, no transactions uh, are legal in the state of Florida that are a central bank digital currency or a CBDC. And that kind of protection Mm -hmm. for the state of Florida needs to be 
uh, widespread. And, and hopefully, if there is actually conservative in the White House in 2024, then uh, we would have a, a uh, president that would sign legislation. And, you know, an executive order would only be for the duration of the presidency. This really needs to be more legislative to say that there is no power um, for the federal government to force that on Americans. I mean, the power to coin money is uh, within the the scope of Article One, Section Eight, um, given to Congress. But that doesn't mean that uh, that then the government can control where you bank and how you take um, the the coined money and you know put that in, into um, a different type of currency and you know how how exactly that works in terms of um, of consumer business. Um, administration. And so, you know, these are things that we really have to take seriously. And I think you're absolutely right, Jim Nels, that a lot of conservatives just kind of laugh off the extreme, you know, climate hysteria because it is such a ridiculous joke, like trying to ban, um, you know, these these wood uh, fire burning pizza ovens and, you know, gas powered stoves and stuff. And we're sitting here thinking, yeah, right. But we should be very concerned because, the left is very intentional and strategic in how they're trying to implement their narrative. And so we can't just laugh it off. We actually have to be strategic in looking at the broader scope and the broader goal. Because I think that for a lot of people um, in in 2020 or right prior to 2020, uh, no one would have thought that in any way the United States federal government would have compelled an experimental uh, medical vaccine injection. I mean, everybody would have thought that's totally not possible. And yet, as, as soon as the fear came, then there were a lot of people, even Republicans and conservatives, that were for that. And so we have to be very circumspect and very clear about this. And we also have to be very realistic because we should be good stewards of um, our earth and we should, uh, you know, do, t- maintain and take care of our earth, but we need to make sure that those policies around the environment are not uh, geared toward leftist principles. And we need to make sure that that is conserving the truth of the biblical worldview that um, our constitution is founded on and that we're protecting our rights first as individuals and not allowing the government to just harness more power. So, um, so Jim Nels, really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, that opinion piece in foxnews.com is the green mafia loses its collective mind. And uh, where can people find you as well, Jim, uh, for all of your other work? Yeah, best place to find me, uh, foxnews.com, The Daily Wire, Washington Examiner, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jim6555. Jim6555. All right. So that's an an official Twitter handle. Um, That would have, to me, uh, looked like that might have not been official. So glad that you uh, (laughs) said that that's your actual Twitter handle. Appreciate that. And uh, we are out of time for today, but um, I will see all of you on Monday and we'll be breaking down the important uh, debates that are going to be aired tonight. It's kind of the one-on-one with uh, The Blaze and Um, the Family Institute out of Iowa for the top presidential contenders other than Donald Trump. He is not going and sitting down. Um, Honestly, if I were still advising him, I would tell him to act like the incumbent because um, the polls are suggesting whether or not you believe them. I personally don't. Um, I don't put a lot of faith into them, a lot of stock, but he is the front runner at the moment. So there's no real reason. um, There's not going to be a net positive gain for him to participate. But for every other candidate, it's an opportunity to 
to gain in the polls. So um, that's going to be very interesting. We're going to break that down Monday morning. I hope that all of you tune in to that tonight at The Blaze. And I will see you uh, Monday morning right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. You can always reach me and my team, Jenna, at AFR.net.